So do you want to introduce yourself to the world? Sure. Uh, my name is Prince Shakur. I'm a 26-year-old Jamaican-American writer and organizer. I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio. I've written for Teen Vogue, for Catapult, for The Appeal, Electric Literature, uh, Patagonia. Um, and I typically cover queer culture, police and prison systems, uh, Black representation in film. And I'm um, a core organizer with Black Queer and Intersectional Collective. When we were coming up with a list of people to interview, I was like, all right, who do I want to talk to? Who do I want to talk to? And I was just like, oh, yeah, Prince, your name was first. And then I just <laughs> went from there. I was like, oh, good. Ever since you went to um, India, I was like, I want to know all about that. That's all I know. You went to India for a while. Yeah, um, I so I'm working on a day. I'm working on a book. It's a memoir. Um, I basically describe it as uh, my political coming of age and what radicalizes young black queer people in Obama and Trump's America. Um, and I've been working on it for maybe about two years. And last year, I just kind of put aside a lot of time to apply to residencies and just try to, I don't know, just practice applying to things and not care if I get rejected. And I got into my first writing residency and it was Sangam House in Bangalore, India. So I was there all of last November. Um, and I got to finish most of the first draft of my book there. Um, honestly, like I, I, whenever I talk to people about it, I just say perfect first residency experience. Why was it perfect? What made it perfect? Um, I, don't, I don't know anything about writing residency. Like, I don't know what you get, like what happens. Yeah, I mean, they kind of range, but I mean, it's typically unregulated uh, time for an artist to have time away from their normal life. Um, some of them cost money to apply. Some artist residencies cost to, um, like they charge you a fee, um, but most of them shouldn't. Um, so basically you just, they give you a house, a room. Sometimes there's other writers in the house that you're in. Um, you get typically unlimited time to work on whatever project you proposed. Um, they might ask you to do like an artist talk here or there or a workshop. Um, and yeah, I mean, to why it was perfect. I mean, I had just had my bank account hacked and I'd lost all my money. So I was kind of working off of the charity and kindness of a lot of the people around me. And that happened like a month before I went to India. And so I think going was kind of this weird dissonance between, I don't know, like I'm doing this major milestone in my creative career and I'm also down and out, but I'm here with the support of all these people. Um, but I mean, the residency itself, like, uh, I mean, everyone else in it was just extremely passionate. Like uh, there were two of the other writers um, who were both in their twenties and we drank a lot and stayed up late and talked a lot about poetry and about the things that we were writing. It was my first time in India and I've always wanted to go. So, I mean, number one is like all the food. And um, and I think it was just really beautiful to, I don't know, I've been writing since I was 13 and all I kept thinking of when I was going there was um, look how far words have taken me. So I think on that level, it was just like really affirming. And I, and I just got to like work through a lot of a project that I really care a lot about and I feel challenges me and hopefully when it's out into the world it'll challenge other people too um yeah and mostly the food it's mostly the food good good food food experiences now you've traveled have you traveled like the world or is this your first time out of the country i know i i know you have traveled 
But was that your first time to like, I don't know, that part of the world? Uh, no, I mean, to, to India, yeah. But um, I mean, I grew up traveling to Jamaica because my family's from there, but I was born in the U.S., um, I've been to, I went to Costa Rica my senior year of college. Um, after graduating college, I went to France for the first time in 2016. Um, and since 2016, I've been to Morocco, Budapest, Spain, uh, the Philippines, South Korea, India, Canada, Mexico. Um, uh, I might be missing one or two other places. Buda, did I say Budapest? Yeah. Hungary? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, every year I try to do at least one big trip. At least. What was your favorite place to travel to? Um, oh, that's a hard question, but... Oh, honestly, I don't know. I don't, it's, 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 a, it's a hard question. It's a hard question. But um, I mean, if I just give the easiest answer, it would be Jamaica. But I mean, a place that was outside of my comfort zone. Um, I mean, I love the Philippines as well. I mean, it was like complicated and difficult traveling there a lot of times, but I don't know, like there's such hospitality in Filipino culture and there's, I don't know, there's like hundreds, if not thousands of islands there. So like beauty wise and nature wise, there's so many different things to see. Yeah. And I, I just feel like going there was kind of my first time being in such a drastically different part of the world. So I think that factored into why it was so memorable too. But, uh, and I've been to the Philippines twice. So I like the Philippines. I mean, why was the, why were the Philippines complicated for you? Uh, because I'm a black man, and the Philippines was my first time going to a country where I realized uh, most of the world consumes black people through media, through sports, through hip hop, through rap, and so I went there, and it was really common for kids to follow me for blocks and uh, say Negrito, Negrito, because the, the the Philippines was colonized by the Spanish. So a lot of their language is tied to Spanish. So Negrito, Black. Um, but still hearing that was like, like I don't know, like really distressing. Um, meeting people and them saying um, the N-word to me, uh, walking around and people yelling, Wiz Khalifa or Bob Marley. Um, one time I was lost and I was looking for a club that my friend was at and these police officers asked me if I needed help. Um, I, against all of my politically oriented judgment said, yeah, sure, give me a ride. And during the 15 minute car ride that I was with these cops, they asked me how big my dick was. Um, <laughs> I visited uh, the uh, community called, uh, well, it's, it's an indigenous tribe called the Aetas and they're like indigenous to the Philippines and they have a lot of Afro-centric features. And uh, I visited one of their villages and I went there and the kids there still pointed at me and laughed. Um, and so I think the Philippines just, it was my first time experiencing so many of those things. And it was also my first time traveling and both negotiating my privilege, but also, I don't know how painful it is to realize how reductive so much of the world sees black people. And so, um, I mean, in, in terms of like double consciousness and understanding the way that I see myself and the way the world sees me, um, I don't know, it, it hurt me in a lot of ways that I think most people don't have to contend with when they travel, um, but it was important to experience and it was important to kind of experience and I don't know, place it where it needs to be placed and 
and to talk about it and to acknowledge it. Um, so yeah, all of those things. I mean, even in India, like I went to a museum and I was sitting outside in the grass with my friend and a class of literally 40 high school boys from rural India surrounded me and they all demanded I take selfies with them for like 10 minutes. And I, it took 10 minutes for me to tell oh them God. no. So, um, yeah, tough. I don't have any frame of reference for what that would be like. So I'm just kind of like in, I'm just speechless. Um, I don't know. What else are you up to? What have you been doing since? I haven't seen you in like a year and a half. So how have you been? <laughs> um, whew, I mean, I, I mean, this year I, what have I been doing this year? I went to a writer's conference in March in Texas, uh, right around the time we all learned about the coronavirus. So that was fun and weird traveling halfway across the country to a conference and then getting there and realizing it might be canceled. Um, but since then, I've just, I mean, like a lot of other people, like uh, staying at home, um, I'm working on the book that I went to India to write. Um, and right now I'm on the last round of edits with my literary agent. So after this round, um, we're going to start shopping the book to publishing houses. But um, I mean, in Columbus, like I've been organizing throughout the summer, uh, through all of the social unrest, uh, I organized with Be Quick. And so I've been doing a lot of work and political education with them. Um, and also just like kind of trying to stay sane. So watching a lot of movies, like watching a lot of, a lot of cinema and trying to dabble into, I don't know, like other things creatively. So I've been doing some screenwriting um, I'm going to Southern California in a few days to go camping for like two or three weeks. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's been a rough year. I mean, <laughs> black people are getting beaten down and I'm just here. I'm trying to survive. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been a year like no other. Yeah, for sure. We have, so we have like a little while longer. Do you want to talk more about, like the work that you're doing and more about kind of what's going on there? Or do you want to just kind of talk about um, what kind of fun stuff you've been doing or what like kind of lighthearted, how you're keeping yourself sane and like busy? Like, what do you want to? Um, I mean, I want to talk about this because I've been talking about it a lot and I want to know what both of you think, because I yeah. just did before this, I did a why voting matters panel. And so I asked both of you, um, who are you voting for? And then my follow-up question is, who do you want to win or who do you think would be more interesting to have win the 2020 presidential election? Presidential is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I, you want to go first? I am not going to vote for Trump. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And it feels like the darkest election I've, I've lived through. It feels darker than last year because now we're just sitting on just such an unreal amount of civil unrest and I'll leave it there for Mario. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to think about it. I feel like I've read a lot of different things, um, exposed myself to a lot of different viewpoints and ideas. So you're voting Trump. Is that what you're saying? He's saying that. <laughs> yes. Totally. Um, no, I, I think that um, it's very complicated and complex to even wrap my head around what i'm gonna do he is I'm gonna, so voting for trump i'm gonna vote for joe, i'm gonna vote for joe biden um i think that there are like material ways 
that Trump being in power will negatively affect a lot of people. Um, but I also think that it's really difficult for me to think about because I think there's such a, and I think you were telling me or talking to me about this last time I saw you was just the pressure and the like weight that, that the American government pushes on voting. And we act like this national election for the president is the only civic duty that we have as citizens. Like we need to vote for who's president. And then that determines if we are represented or not, or if we like get what we need or get what we want. And it's, I think, I, I think there are material ways that like, like Biden sucks. They both fucking suck. This country sucks. Like a lot of things suck. Um, and I think that I want to vote for Biden. And then it's like, what else can I do beyond that? I don't think that, don't you wish we Voting didn't have really to go one or, one or two? Like we could just vote for a third person and it just didn't seem like a waste of It shouldn't vote? be three. It should, the, this is the funny thing is the concept of a third party. It's like there shouldn't be a third. There should be a like, fourth, a fifth, a sixth. But it's also like the way that voting, I don't know, everything that exists is built on something like like dirty and like bad. So I'm like, what is what even if we have 10 parties, like what is what is voting really doing in a country where like the Electoral College is still in place? Yeah. And like a culture of white supremacy. And I don't know, all of the all of these things are like very confusing and difficult for me to think about and things that I haven't thought about a lot more than the past maybe two years. So it's really overwhelming. But I think that the short answer is I, I'll probably vote for Biden, but I want to hear what, what you have to say and what you talked about in the panel. Um, I'm not voting. I didn't vote in 2016. Was that a trick? Uh, what? To get us to be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're going, we're going Biden. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just pretty much know everyone I surround myself with is probably going to vote Biden. Um, but I like just like to have these conversations because I think we only talk about, I don't know, just like politics, like social justice, like organizing, any sense of like a political world. We only talk about it within a certain framework. Um, but I'm not voting. I mean, I, I kind of like align with what my best friend said after Trump won. And I called her and I was like, oh, my God, can you believe Trump won? And she was like, so what? Like, I'm, I'm a black woman in this country. So what? And, and, and for me, like it, it comes down to like, I think any hope that the Democratic Party might have had to get someone like me to vote for it during this election uh, is dashed because I think like on a, on a, in a bare bones scenario, after Trump won, what I wanted white America, white people, white liberals, white progressives, whatever to prove is that they are politically engaged and capable enough to impeach a racist, a rapist, a xenophobe. And to me, the fact that that challenge was never actually met or um, overcome just means that to ask people to vote for the same political party again is just, I don't know, it, it's, it's like, I, I think we ignore so much that America has this inherent political amnesia. And so for me, like, I'd rather Trump win because I think all of the white people that want Biden to win and 
art speaking towards getting back to this new normal or, or I don't know, I don't know I'll talk about all the things that will be easier if Biden wins. It's like, I want white people to see the ugliest parts of America, just like I've had to, just like other people have had to since its conception. And so I think to me, the more interesting scenario is what do we do if Trump wins again? Is it just gonna be a replay of the last four years? Because that to me is what I think we're all ignoring. It's what are we gonna do differently this time? Because I don't really see, I don't really see anything new generated around the question of voting or who we're voting for. I think it's the same rat race. And I think if, if Michael Brown was killed in 2014 and six years later, there's another I can't breathe again after Eric Garner, like what, what progress, like what, what's progress to us, like even as individuals? It seems like there are too many people who benefit from the system to staying exactly status quo for a lot of people to put in any effort to change it at all. But it's interesting that you say that you're like, if Trump wins again, you guys got to confront your darkness instead of be like, hey, we did it. Yeah, because I'm just like, regardless, I can be shot in my home. Regardless, I can be snatched up by an unmarked van. Regardless, there are a million different ways that I could die over so many other people in this country, who, regardless of who is in office. So I think if we ignore the, the root evil, we're just buying into a, an illusion that is advantageous to the elite. And if we don't question that illusion, if we don't question what our threshold is, because I, I, cause I, I, I think I've talked to this with Mario, I just said like, what would it take for either of you not to vote? Like, what would this country have to do in order for you to be like, this is some bullshit. And like, I think like the question of what that threshold is, the fact that we have no answers to that question, even on an individual level is a problem. Cause I, I don't know, it's like, what's that quote? It's like, if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. And I'm just like, what are we falling for again? I, I don't know what it would take me for me to not vote. Like, the cause I mean, there was, there was Charlottesville. There's been countless schools that have been shot up. There was the time the president called all these countries a shithole shithole countries. There are all the postal service boxes being taken away. Um, There's like over a dozen or so sexual assault. I don't just like, give me the list. Because if if we have the list, like it just means that maybe we just don't want to deal with what the answer to that question would be, which means that we've already crossed that threshold. We just don't want to admit it. Dark, dark. What What do you think would imp- would greatly improve America? Like, I don't. I'm not saying like obviously Joe Biden's going to come in and make it amazing, but what do you think needs to change in order for us to start to write this? What feels like a sinking ship? Um. Or is it possible? I I will answer your question, and I'll also speak beyond it. Um. I Dude, think pontificate. If- I love it. I mean, if you want to improve America, reparations, do uh, like structural violence impact analysis reports of vulnerable populations, go into undocumented neighborhoods, go into poor neighborhoods, go into black neighborhoods, have people investigate and quantify all of the harms that all of these state institutions have done and start drafting up models and frameworks of how to address them. I mean, I think that's like one step, abolish student loans, make healthcare universal, um, have some kind of like mandatory 
kind of reteaching of U.S. history. Um, I mean, those are just some of the things that come to mind. And, and then I think my most honest answer to that question is I don't think I think America is operating exactly how it needs to operate. I mean, it's 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 a business. It's an economy that was built on black people, indigenous people, undocumented people. And so I think to ask the question, what can we do to make America better or a better place? Um, I don't know. It's, it's like dressing up a pig. I'm just like, still a pig. Like, I, I think like we have to ask different questions because I mean, what, how would an indigenous person on this land answer that question? How would someone who knows their lineage and ties to plantation slavery answer that question? Um, how would an undocumented person answer that question? Um, and so I think make America great again or abolish America. Yeah, I think it's like, because you asked like, how do you make America better? And I, I think I always think like, how do you make America something better? Not yeah. that like America should be better, but it should be something else that is better. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you take like a rotting, like moldy, disgusting thing and like bring it back to life? It's like sometimes I think you got to just bury something <laughs> and like let the next thing happen. I don't know. Yeah. Well, when did you start to get turned on to politics? Like, what when what made you care about all this? And what made you, I don't know, formulate opinions that you have? I feel like so many people did not give a flying fuck about politics until they were like, uh, maybe Trump's actually going to kill us all. Uh, I mean, I had a teacher in high school who was a communist. And, I mean, taught us, like, very like just like pointedly about capitalism and imperialism and colonialism and he i mean i went to an all-black high school my this teacher was white but he still i mean it, it it's like from his place of privilege it was like an interesting thing for him to do but I, I he did challenge us and he just like really just taught us about the ways that capitalism in the u.s like wants to kill us and wants to lock us up and sort of illuminated some of those things um I mean, then I went to college and I was an English major and I mean, I was relatively politically involved, but it was, I mean, it was really the murder of Michael Brown because my whole life I've been told, go to college, get a degree, get a job. What happened in 2008, 2009, the housing recession? I mean, what did, what happened when Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and Eric Garner was killed? Black Lives Matter kind of materialized. Um, I mean, so since I've been like 15, I've been aware, um, but also I'm gay in a Jamaican family. So politically like i have to understand colonialism in jamaica to understand why my family's culture is homophobic i have to understand racism to understand what i need to do to protect myself as much as i can out there in the streets um and so i mean it's just like an amalgamation of all of those things um but yeah i mean since i've been like 15 i've just been like fuck this shit fuck capitalism let's find something else yeah I'm, I just, I can't, I could listen to Prince speak for all day. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I just want to interrupt people, but I don't want to interrupt Prince. Um, where'd you go to school? College? Yeah. Uh, Ohio, Either school, wherever. Ohio University. OU. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Cleveland. 
I I feel like I've been to Cleveland four times in my life, and every, the first time it was just like flying in, and I was kind of like, okay, it is what it is. And then every time I've gone back, I've had such a good time. I would not say anything negative about Cleveland. Um, yeah, what was yeah, what was your experience like living in Cleveland? Um, I grew up on the east side in the city. I went to all black schools. I also did a lot of programs for like underprivileged black kids. Um, I mean, it's, it's just like any city you kind of grow up or any place you kind of grow up in. I was ready to leave when I did. Um, but every time I go back, I still feel like a fondness for it. Cause I think black people in Cleveland have been so, I don't know, normally like so many other parts of the country been pushed aside. So I don't know, I go to neighborhoods and I see black people and I feel at home. I feel love, but I also see all of the weirdness, all of the pain, all of the gentrification. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I loved growing up in Cleveland and I don't know. And I think it's kind of like, do you not feel that love in Columbus? I love Columbus in a different way. Um, Columbus is familiar yet new. Um, but honestly, I feel like a lot of the things that I feel as a newer person living in Columbus, like being more aware of the gentrification and the problems in the city and all of the kind of political issues, I feel that about Cleveland, but in a, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like in a different way. It's rooted in a different place. I mean, I, I feel like with Cleveland, it'll always feel like home no matter how much it's changing. But I feel like with Columbus, it's more of like, I know I'll always feel like a visitor in a sense, because I always knew that I wouldn't live here for forever. Um, if that makes sense. Where's the, where's the next stop then? Uh, I don't know for sure, but I, next year I want to go on a really long trip, meaning like six to eight months. Um, I just kind of want to travel around and do some of the things on my travel list that I just haven't done yet. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking maybe Chicago, maybe New York, but that also depends on the money. What kind of money I might be having in about a year. Yeah. Uh, So we'll see. I love Chicago. I lived there for a year. They have the biggest inferiority complex of any city. If you bring up anything about New York or LA, they'll just be like, nope, those places suck. (laughs) (laughs) Those places are garbage. (laughs) And it's just, it comes up out of nowhere. Pizza, New York pizza sucks. Uh, (laughs) I didn't say it was good. I don't know why you're yelling at me. Um, Well, I have to go. Um, Do you want to wrap up or do you want to? Yeah, Prince, tell us where we can uh, find your links find anything, plug anything you want to plug coming up. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on social media, Instagram at sweet black prince. Um, Twitter is at P R S H A K U R. Um, and you can check out my website, Prince Shakur, P R I N C E S H A K U R.com, uh, to check out my writings, uh, some of my media work, um, and kind of just read more of the stuff I'm putting out there in the world. But yeah. Please come back anytime. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we want to hear you talk. Prince is like one of my favorite people. I love to, <laughs> I love to see you, hang out with you, listen to you, everything. I'm very excited to see all the cool stuff that you're gonna do. Yeah, when that book's finished, let us know. I will. I will. Come right. twenty, probably 2022. is when it'll be out. Jeez. But I'll let you know. 
It's a long process. Uh, publishing, it's typically 12 to 18 months from when you sign the contract to when it's out. So you got to... Wow. There's still all that work in between. All right. Yeah, well, thank right. you, Prince. Yeah. Bye, Prince. See you soon. Bye.